0: Welcome to Ends in Sensibility, the podcast for everyone who loves Jane Austen. Today I have something special for you. I was lucky enough to interview the production team of Rational Creatures, the web series based on Jane's final completed novel, Persuasions. Rational Creatures Season 1 came out in 2019 on YouTube as a series about charting your own course, conquering your fears, and falling back in love. Season 2 was just released in September, and I am really excited about this interview. So, without further ado, here it is! So, I am with the producers, staff, directors of Rational Creatures, and I would love if you could go around and introduce yourselves. For sure. Sure.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Ashlyn. I'm the co-writer, creator, director, all of everything gaffer, sometimes (laughs) production assistant um, of
2: Rational Creatures. Um, I am Jessamine, and I am the same, uh, filling in many of the roles on the project, uh, co-creator,
3: writer, director, etc. I am Anya. I am also the co-everything of Rational Creatures.
0: Um, hi, I'm
3: Hazel. I'm also the character of Russia Creatures, except I didn't do production on season one, I guess. Yeah, Hazel lost her passport. That, <laughs> <We> had, <yeah. laughs> that was sad. <laughs> oh no! Because yeah. we're all in different locations. So. Oh yeah, we
2: probably should have said locations.
0: Yeah. Oh, you're um. all in different locations? Oh, I mm-hmm. didn't yeah. know that. Where, where in the world is everyone? I'm in Toronto,
2: so in Canada.
3: And I'm the UK. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
3: and I'm in Minnesota.
2: And I'm in Oregon. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Time zones yeah. Are, are a constant struggle. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. You do a little bit of everything and all of the above for Rational Creatures. So, Rational Creatures is a show on YouTube. It is based on persuasion. And I would love it if, uh, Ashlyn, if you could tell me a little bit about the. F- season one
1: for sure okay season one well season one covers about the first couple of chapters of the book but basically we we meet anna who is our ann elliot she is living at home in her late 20s she works for her dad but her dad informs her that he can no longer pay for um for her, for her work hours or her salary so uh she decides to uh, move in with her sister uh, marisol who is our version of Mary. Um, and she finds out very quickly that in the same apartment building, uh, Sophie also, lives. Sophie Wentworth lives in the same apartment building as her and her brother, Fred Wentworth, former lover of our Anna, <laughs> is about to move in. Um, and the season ends with them seeing each other for the first time and however
0: many years. Oh, and I got chills. I got chills <laughs> when they first saw each other. we're pretty proud for season one it's only five episodes but i think a lot happens in it so tell me about the writing of this when you first started talking about this was it going was the intention to do a a rewrite of persuasion or or did that come later or how did that happen
2: yeah that part we had from the start uh we came from doing other uh literary adaptations on youtube if people are familiar with like Lizzie Bennet Diaries, that kind of thing, um, that was kind of the, the big one that launched it all. And then there was a lot of indie ones. So all of us have worked on those at some point or other. Um, and Persuasion was kind of the one that never got made. Several people started it, got like five episodes in and didn't go anywhere. Um, and so we all were in a group chat talking about other stuff to do with web series and literature and just started bouncing ideas around. Um, Eventually it changed to be not so much the format that most of those have been where it's told through vlogs um, because we didn't think it worked as well for this story. And we kind of wanted to try something different than what we'd done. Um, But yeah, it was definitely persuasion was was the starting idea. And I think some of you, I know Ash maybe even already had some ideas before we started talking about it together.
3: Yeah, I want to say me and Ash both had, like, separately, we had been, like, brainstorming ideas, and then we were like, oh, what if we, like, kind of smash this together, and then, yeah. I
0: think
1: it also, when when we first started writing it, a lot of us, I I don't want to say all because I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know I definitely felt this way, felt at the point that Ann Elliot is in the book, and definitely at the point where Anna is in the show, where you're like, all right, I've reached this age, things didn't quite pan out the way I had imagined them um what am I doing it's like that (laughs) midlife crisis or quarter life crisis um (laughs) and so we all were kind of like or at least I was I was in that space and so the book kind of went hand in hand with what I was actually feeling in real life
2: and then it took us five years to make so we're like still all in that and just every year that goes by and things get delayed you just like oh another year of quarter life crisis we
1: often joke that when we started this this project we were I don't think any of us were 27 or we were we were before the character we were and now we're all or I'm past not all of us are past but many of us have passed that age
0: so we've been we've been through everything <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen the web series and I highly recommend it it is so digestible and and So entertaining. The characters really grab you very quickly in those five or seven minute episodes. They're not long, um, but they do grab you quickly. There are some changes. For instance, Anna's sister is married to a woman instead of a Mr. Charles Musgrove. It is Charlie Musgrove. And I and I love these, these types of changes because we're in a modern setting, it works. It doesn't have to be explained. But what were some of the thoughts behind doing some of the gender swaps for some of the characters? I remember talking
3: about Fred being just like a bi disaster, like right at the beginning. And i it's been so long, I don't remember how we came to that conclusion that, that that's how he should be. But it just fits.
2: Yeah, and I think it was an early idea. And I don't, I don't remember where it came from either.
3: So we decided definitely early on. I think maybe Louisa to Lewis was one of the that first gender might swaps. Have
2: been.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like it was Hazel's idea, but I may be wrong. It was actually Jules, I think.
2: Oh, um, was it okay?
1: Yeah, You had a friend who helped us brainstorm initially. Um,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, and um, I think from what I remember, they're really best in having like the light, optimistic character, like being a guy. It's nice, you
2: know. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of unusual. Often. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Oh, kind of unusual for us because in a lot of our shows we had worked on before, like one of the ones I had done was Shakespeare with Shakespeare, was where we were going the opposite way and being like, we want there to be more women in these because they're very heavy on male characters. So we were swapping a lot of people the other way. Um, and then with this one, we, I don't know, for whatever reason, started with that one because it seemed like it fit. Um, and I think it gave us. I think all of our male characters we've tried to like they're kind of characters that you don't see a lot for men in media. Soft I think. boys. Soft boys, <laughs> yes. boys Um, Like characters so sometimes taking a character that started off female in the work can maybe lead to bring out some characteristics that obviously real life
0: men have but you don't always see in media. Right right I, and I love Louisa Lewis. He is such a Louisa is a hot mess, and it works with either with either gender. And I love how he's practicing in front of the uh in front of the mirror before he meets Fred for the first time. For our listeners, Fred in this story is a travel blogger, and he has come home to live with his sister for a little while. And Louis. Is a huge fanboy and he is practicing in front of the mirror introducing himself uh to Fred, and it's so funny. I think that was one of my favorite scenes just because he's so awkward when they met.
2: Was that I want to say that was the very, very first scene that we shot. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah. and it was in this tiny little bathroom. (laughs) We were awkward. There was what five, four or five people in this teeny tiny little bathroom. I was actually standing up on a ledge in the shower to get the overhead shot. And um, yeah, so it was like the first day we had never even met our actors before because none of us lived in Chicago except for Anya where we were shooting. So uh, we're just like, okay, go for it. Go for your characters. We just met you and our actors, you know, you were saying like the characters grab you so fast. And I think that's such a credit to all of them um, because we just adore them. Like they're all just so good at their characters. A lot of them are a lot like their characters or share a lot of characteristics with them. And I feel like they were able to just like totally hit the ground running and really flesh them out so fast.
0: Oh, I hope, I hope the guy who plays Lewis is not really a hot mess.
2: No, I don't think he has so much of that anxiety that Lewis has, but he does have that like, um, Eric's the sweetest person. You'll yeah. Ever. He's just like so sweet. Yeah. So he has that characteristic of Lewis. That's, that's the right way to describe it yeah
0: so tell me more about about casting uh you're all over north america in europe how do you cast for for a web series when you're so, all so far away did you use did you use zoom
1: we we did not use zoom for season one so we did end up using zoom for season two because we did cast a, a character during the pandemic which is something i do not recommend i don't <laughs> recommend anyone do anything <laughs> no definitely not <laughs> Uh, but for season one, uh, we, we put a casting call out there and we asked, um, we asked everyone to submit videos and, um, we, like the four of us ended up doing a lot of work in like organizing the videos and keeping track and writing our comments and cutting it down to a select few and then meeting again and figuring it out. We did have callbacks for Fred Wentworth and, and our, our, and our Anna, um, because we, And Anya spearheaded that because we needed to know that they had chemistry that was really important to us. Um, But everyone else, we just got really lucky with um, with everything else. I mean, but even like Henrietta, the character of Henrietta, Stephanie, who plays Henrietta, we fell in love with Stephanie watching her audition. Her audition was so dynamic. We were like, we really like what Stephanie is doing here. We didn't think Stephanie was right for the part she was auditioning for. And we had someone else in mind for it. But we loved it so much that we added Henrietta into our script. Like in our original version, we didn't have a Henrietta at all. Um, so, so you now have, so the audience now has Henrietta. And we're, I can't imagine the show without Stephanie now. It's just part of the show. Yeah,
0: one of my favorite characters in Persuasion is one that you don't really see a lot, Sir Elliot, Sir Walter Elliot, I should say, because he's such. He he is drama. He is just this unbearable snob and and i love him because he's so he's completely oblivious about what he's putting his daughters through how did you how did you make sure that the the actor you cast as the sir walter character was going to work so well did you put those put those two together before so beforehand or or how did that work
1: i think uh sir walter uh, Guillermo on our show is the hardest character to cast just because there was a lot of things that we needed um, from, from our Guillermo. We needed him to be a ex actor. Um, it's actually we found we find it difficult to act, like cast people who are a little bit older just because we don't have as many connections. Uh, so we were having a hard time. So actually our Fred Wentworth, Peter, um, actually um, knew Armando from a festival he was in a play a series of plays and connected him with us and that was kind of how we found how we found him and yeah he kind of yeah someone else can talk i feel like i'm oh, taking over i,
2: I was just going to say and it was like the week of shooting i think like i think we were in chicago shooting and like actually asking the actors like hey do you have someone who can come in on the last day and do this role or maybe it was like the week before i don't know it was very eleventh hour so we didn't have i don't even know if he sent us a tape like it was we didn't have chemistry reads with him at all and he just came on set and blew it out of the water like we've got very so very great. lucky <laughs> yeah
0: so tell me we've got season one that came out in 2019 so tell me about season two it's coming out this summer um how did planning how did shooting how did all of that happen uh it, it was a saga. Uh, go ahead.
2: Well, well, does Anya or Hazel? If you guys have stories you want to tell, we're, we're no.
3: I was just about. like, how how are we gonna? Where are we gonna start? So where do we start? start? So
2: twenty twenty. Um, yeah. So we uh, hit the ground running in January of twenty twenty with a crowdfunding campaign that wrapped up mid February. I remember being in. California uh Ash and I attended a conference where we got to screen the show which was great um and I remember flying home from that trip and there being signs in the airport they were like hey if you were in China like let us know and you know everyone wash your hands and like it didn't seem like that big of a deal at that time and then you know within a month we had a lockdown so yeah we were ready to go we were trying to book dates with the actors Uh, We had one actor who had moved out of Chicago, so we needed to be able to fly her out. And then we were like, well, guess we're, uh, guess we're waiting. Um, And we got gung-ho about editing for a little while because the script needed some tweaking anyway. Uh, and then, like, at a certain point, I think we got discouraged and we were like, "We're just not working on this for a while because we can't do anything. Does anyone else want to pick up some parts of the story?
1: Yeah, I think we we had the unforeseen luxury of being able to work on our script longer than we had anticipated, which ended up working out. I think our script is stronger because of it. Uh, but then we finally decided to actually like start something. We needed to we needed to get going on this. We knew we we had a responsibility to all the backers who donated to the campaign to actually make the thing. Uh, so we ended up having to split it up into three different filming dates. Um, we flew um, some actors out to Minnesota where Anya lives and Justin was able to go as well. And they filmed some summer bits there. Then we did our second bit this past January. And finally, we were all finally together the whole cast all of us which had never happened before in February of this year um, and somehow we made it through no one getting COVID or no one having COVID right before that February shoot.
2: Yes we had cast members who like the like two days after or something got COVID so it was we really got by it. wasn't because of us. of us. It wasn't because by, of no, us. No, no. To be clear, it wasn't our fault. Uh, <laughs> by the skin of our teeth. It was like every time we booked a shoot, then all of a sudden a bad variant would pop up. So it was like, oh, August 2021. You know, everyone's vaccinated. It's, it's June. We'll book for August. All of a sudden, Delta hits. So we're like, okay, we better, you know, like test everyone and be really careful. And then it was right at, I think, probably the worst of Omicron in Chicago in uh, January. We actually had a cast member who called out several days before because she had it. And fortunately, she wasn't in very many of the scenes we had scheduled, so we were able to move them to February. But yeah, it was very, we just just managed it. But it worked out. And yeah, we got to have every every cast member and all of us actually on set one of the days in February. And that was like very special, very exciting.
0: That sounds so stressful. <laughs>
3: it was (laughs) yeah it was it was really sad to go from the high of having like succeeded our crowdfunding campaign to like like we can't do anything and everything
0: sucks (laughs) oh boy is there going to be a season three so our actors some of our (laughs) actors really want
1: season three to happen um but we have reached the end of the book by okay. by uh, season two. And that was a very common question while we, while we were campaigning. Um, are you going to end the story? And, and we did reach the end of season two, uh, the book in season two. So I, I don't think there's going to be a, a season three. Never say never, but we're not planning. We're not, three.
2: we're not planning it. We, and we have a lot of other ideas. We've now spent five years with Persuasion. So I think we kind of like to try some new characters after
0: this. What other, what new ideas are, are you thinking about? Are you knocking around uh, for after this? Uh,
2: A lot of Austin ideas get floated. That's all I'll say.
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it or like people, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so Rational Creatures will be out this summer on YouTube. Do you have a firm date yet uh, for when it will be released?
2: And can we watch it anywhere else besides YouTube? So right now we're only going to be
1: available on YouTube, but it will be available um, anywhere where you can access YouTube, which is great. Um, In terms of a firm date we've had, every time we set a date to something, something goes terribly wrong, whether it be like the pandemic, uh, uh, like a variant or something. So we've, we've just like learned our lesson to not set any firm dates we have a general idea in our mind and, and we will let people know once we get closer to, we won't just like pop an episode out there. Uh, but it's um we're, we're a little, we don't want to jinx it. We're, we're really scared of the universe
3: right now after the two years we've had or the couple of years we've had. Also, I just will say that I think season two is going to be better than season one. So if you watched season one and you're a little unsure, And this is nothing about the actors, it's just like, I think we upped the quality and just like, everything is a little bit better. So if you're a little unsure, just stay tuned.
2: As well as a lot more happens, because season one was really just a tiny little taste of the beginning of the story. Season two is more than twice as long. Oh, wow. There's a lot of, yeah, we really only did about the first third with season one. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot more content and drama and... Things, we had things time to,
1: to prepare. <laughs> yeah, we had had, budget. <laughs> we had more time to prepare and we had actual money to work
2: with. Not a lot, but we had some to work with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you all for taking time out of your busy uh schedule. Wherever you are in the world, I really appreciate it. Um how many episodes are are there going to be uh, this season? I think there were i think
2: it's i think it's 13 oh wow Is that, that sound right
3: 13 plus secret extra stuff yeah i mean there's and
2: well and not secret extra stuff like oh it's not ex- secret there's extra That's not okay. just because it was crowdfunding. it's a crowdfunding perk okay right, <laughs>
3: there's, right there's
2: extra uh the, when we do the flashback episodes there's extras of those because we had some very generous crowdfunding backers that donated at that top level to get those so I think there's four of those, so it's, like, 17 episodes of content.
3: Wow. And some of the ep- a couple episodes are, like, 10-ish minutes, which for us is long, so it's, it's
0: exciting. Uh, this sounds, this is so exciting. I I can't wait. I'm sure our listeners can't wait who have seen it, and if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It'll take, like, half
2: an hour. Come on,
0: the whole—it's like half an hour for like the the episodes that are already live for season one. It's great. Um, I want to thank all of you again. Thank you for
1: having us. We yes, really appreciate thank it. You. Thank you.
2: Great to great to chat with you. I was checking out the podcast a bit when we knew we were going to do this, and it seems Sense and Sensibility is my favorite, and actually the first book that I worked on a web series for. So, oh no, kidding. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I don't recommend it. You can find it on the internet, but it's not very good.
0: (laughs) So that was so much fun. I had such a great time interviewing the team from Rational Creatures. And I really hope that if you haven't seen it, that you'll take the time to actually go check it out. Again, it's Rational Creatures on YouTube. Now let's get back to the text. When we last left the Dashwoods, they were preparing to go on an excursion the next morning to a fine park not far away called Whitwell. They were going with the Middletons, about half the neighborhood, and of course Willoughby and Colonel Brandon. Old stick-in-the-mud Eleanor is not looking forward to it. The intended excursion to Whitwell turned out very different from what Eleanor had expected. She was prepared to be wet through, fatigued, and frightened. But the event was still more unfortunate, for they did not go at all. By ten o'clock the whole party was assembled at the park, where they were to breakfast. The morning was rather favorable, though it had rained all night, as the clouds were then dispersing across the sky, and the sun frequently appeared. They were all in high spirits and good humor, eager to be happy and determined to submit to the greatest inconveniences and hardship, rather than be otherwise. While they were all at breakfast, the letters were brought in. Among the rest, there was one for Colonel Brandon. He took it, looked at the direction, changed color, and immediately left the room. "'What is the matter with Brandon?' said Sir John. "'Nobody could tell.' "'I hope he has had no bad news,' said Lady Middleton.' It must be something extraordinary that would make Colonel Brandon leave my breakfast table so suddenly. In about five minutes he returned. No bad news, Colonel, I hope, said Mrs. Jennings as soon as he entered the room. None at all, ma'am, I thank you. Was it from Avignon? I hope it is not to say that your sister is worse. No, ma'am, it came from town, and is merely a letter of business. How came the hand to discompose you so much if it was only a letter of business? Come, come this won't do colonel let us hear the truth of it my dear madam said lady middleton recollect what you are saying perhaps it is to tell you that your cousin fanny is married said mrs jennings without attending to her daughter's reproof no indeed it is not well then i know who it is from colonel and i hope she is well whom do you mean ma'am he said coloring oh you know who i mean i am particularly sorry ma'am he said, addressing Lady Middleton, that I should receive this letter today, for it is on business which requires my immediate attendance in town. In town, cried Mrs. Jennings, what can you have to do in town at this time of year? My own loss is great, he continued, in being obliged to leave so agreeable a party, but I am the more concerned, as I fear my presence is necessary to gain your admittance at Whitwell. What a blow upon them all was this." Okay, let's stop for a minute. Eleanor is expecting it to be rainy and miserable, and to be miserable, but the morning is looking like a nice one, and Sir John and Lady Middleton have the whole neighborhood for breakfast, and everyone is at the park and excited to be going somewhere new. One of the servants comes in with Middleton's letters, and probably the Dashwood's letters too, and there's a letter for Colonel Brandon. Brandon takes one look at this letter, he changes color, and he bolts from the room. We assume to read it. Lady Middleton is only concerned because he rudely left her breakfast table. So after about five minutes, Brandon comes back to the Spanish Inquisition, and Mrs. Jennings leads the questioning. Is it bad news? Is it your sister in Avignon? That's a city in southern France where a lot of British people had settled in the mid-18th century. And it was also common for Brits to take long holidays in France or Italy if they were ill to get the benefit of warmer weather. Shepard, in the annotated Sense and Sensibility, says that this is an unusual place for Brits to live at the time this book was published because of the rising tensions between France and England. But when Jane first wrote Eleanor and Marianne in 1795, things were different. But it wasn't about Brandon's sister. He admits that the letter came from London, aka town, and he says that it's just business. Now that information is fuel for so many more questions, and Lady M has to scold her mother for her nosiness. Why does a business letter cause you to panic? Is it your cousin Fanny finally married? Nope, it's not Fanny. Then Mrs. Jennings seems to figure it out. She's whittled down those possibilities, and seems. And very cryptically, for her, she says, I know who it's from. And that sends poor Brandon to desperately change the subject. He apologizes to Lady M, says he has to leave immediately and head to London. And everyone is shocked and disappointed because without Brandon, they can't get in to visit Whitwell. And this starts even more questions. "'But if you write a note to the housekeeper, Mr. Brandon,' said Marianne eagerly, "'will it not be sufficient?' he shook his head. "'We must go,' said Sir John. "'It shall not be put off when we are so near it. "'You cannot go to town till tomorrow, Brandon, that is all. "'I wish it could be so easily settled, "'but it is not in my power to delay my journey for one day.' "'If you would but let us know what your business is,' said Mrs. Jennings, "'we might see whether it could be put off or not.' It would not be six hours later, said Willoughby, if you were to defer your journey till I return. I cannot afford to lose one hour. Eleanor then heard Willoughby say, in a low voice, to Marianne, There are some people who cannot bear a party of pleasure. Brandon is one of them. He was afraid of catching cold, I dare say, and invented this trick for getting out of it. I would lay fifty guineas if the letter was of his own writing. I have no doubt of it, replied Marianne. There is no persuading you to change your mind, Brandon, I know of old," said Sir John, when once you were determined of anything. But, however, I hope you will think better of it. Consider. Here are the two Miss Careys come over from Newton, the three Miss Dashwoods walked up from the cottage, and Mr. Willoughby got up two hours before his usual time on purpose to go to Whitwell. Colonel Brandon again repeated his sorrow at being the cause of disappointing the party. But at the same time, declared it to be unavoidable. Well, then, when will you come back again? I hope we shall see you at Barton. Added to her ladyship, as soon as you can conveniently leave town, and we must put off the party to Whitwell till you return. You are very obliging, but it is so uncertain when I may have it in my power to return that I dare not engage for it at all. Oh, he must and shall come back, cried Sir John. If he is not here by the end of the week I shall go after him. I so do, Sir John, cried Mrs. Jennings, and then perhaps you may find out what his business is. I do not want to pry into other men's concerns. I suppose it is something he is ashamed of. Colonel Brandon's horses were announced. You do not go to town on horseback, do you? added Sir John. No, only to Honiton. I shall then go post. Well, as you are resolved to go, I wish you a good journey, but you had better change your mind. I assure you it is not in my power." He then took leave of the whole party. Is there no chance of my seeing you and your sisters in town this winter, Miss Dashwood? I am afraid none at all. Then I must bid you farewell for a longer time than I should wish to do. To Marianne he merely bowed and said nothing. Come, Colonel, said Mrs. Jennings, before you go, do let us know what you are going about. He wished her a good morning and, attended by Sir John, left the room. Let's stop there because there is a ton to talk about in this scene. This scene is so interesting to me because you get to see how an emergency, and that's what this is for Brandon, affects all the important characters here. Sir John tries to Talk his friend into waiting a day to leave, but Brandon says, again, no. Sir John is concerned for his friend, but only begs him to stay for the sake of the party. Remember, Sir John's whole life is one big party. He even tries to guilt Brandon into staying. All the younger people in the neighborhood are here for the trip. It would be a shame to disappoint them. But even guilt won't work on Brandon. But Sir John also won't pry into his friend's business at least in front of this group. He might do it while walking Brandon to his horses. Brandon is so secretive here. He won't answer more than the most basic questions, albeit very politely. He denies it's important. He denies it's important, but it's important enough that he has to leave immediately. And at the same time, he's exceedingly polite about it. He apologized to Lady M., who made the comment when he got up, but his motives remain mysterious. Now, we already know that Mrs. Jennings is interested in matchmaking and loves to tease Marion and Eleanor about their possible beau, but now we're seeing how wheedling she is. She flat-out demands that Brandon let her in on his secret and then hints that she already knows what it's about, She embarrasses him and forces her daughter to scold her. And of course, Lady Middleton is only interested in how everybody acts at her breakfast table. She's more concerned about Brandon leaving the table so abruptly than the reason for it. And she scolds her mother for being so rude about it, using very formal language, Madam, to remind Mrs. J to behave herself. And she very politely but oh so coldly invites him back to Barton when his business is concluded. And then there's Willoughby. Willoughby suggests that he could delay his trip until after their excursion to Whitwell. But when Brandon adamantly says he can't even delay an hour, Willoughby gets snarky and he whispers it loud enough for Eleanor to hear. He claims Brandon is intentionally ruining the trip because this old man of 35 is afraid of catching cold. He says he'd bet 50 guineas that Brandon wrote the letter himself. And not only is he snarky, but this could also shows that he's a gambler. 50 guineas is a lot of money. Now, a guinea is a pound and a shilling. So 50 guineas is about 50 pounds and 50 shillings. And there are 20 shillings and a pound. So it's actually 52 pounds and 10 shillings. That's more than most servants, even the high-ranking ones, make in a year. So if Willoughby is claiming he's willing to bet on something as silly as Brandon writing his own letter, maybe that means he's got some kind of gambling problem. And of course Marianne agrees with Willoughby as always, but before that, this is the first time Marianne speaks directly to Brandon and she calls him Mr. Brandon. Now I haven't done a search, but I think this might be the only time in the text Marianne and Brandon actually speak to each other, and Marianne gets his name wrong. This is so funny! Now Marianne is asking Brandon for a letter to give the housekeeper, who in general is the top servant in the house, but even this won't be enough for this house because, as we learned in the last chapter, Brandon's brother-in-law does not like strangers poking around his house when he's not there. And I think this is the brother-in-law in France. And he definitely doesn't want this when Brandon isn't with this troop of tourists. Now, this isn't the only house that Austen's heroines want a tour. If you've read Pride and Prejudice, Elizabeth and her aunt and uncle have been given a tour of Pemberley by the housekeeper when Darcy comes home and runs into them months after Lizzie refuses his marriage proposal and he writes a letter to her detailing Wickham's dastardly deeds. Now this is a turning point for their relationship and Lizzie has gotten to see the house that she might have been mistress of and has heard the housekeeper and others say really nice things about Darcy. And this is a thing that middle class people in Regency England and in Georgian England did. They might not get an invite from the master of the house, but getting a tour of them was pretty popular. Meanwhile, Marianne is really showing a kind of a nasty side to herself in agreeing with Willoughby. Is she just wanting to be agreeable to him, or does she really feel this way? This is not a side of Marianne we particularly like. And finally, there's Eleanor. The only things she does are listen to Marianne and Willoughby and politely answer Brandon's Only question, will she and her sisters be in London this winter? Eleanor says no. He bids her a very polite goodbye and he bows to Marianne. There's so much character written in such a short space in this scene. And I think that's that's really one reason why I love it so much. It allows each character to develop and express themselves and show what kind of person they are. And... It's funny that Eleanor only gets that one sentence, that single line, and it's a negative. But she's not a super negative person, so we're still kind of learning more about her. We don't get as much about Eleanor in this scene as we get from everyone else. So this scene is told from an omniscient narrator from Eleanor's point of view but she only gets one line in the entire scene it's so interesting. All right one more sidebar and then we'll get back to the text. Brandon says he's riding his horse to Honiton and then going post to London. Now remember Barton Park is in Devonshire which is located in the southwest peninsula of England just south of Wales. London is in southeast England north of Kent and Surrey, and even today that's a long drive by car, but on horseback and in a post-chaise, which was the fastest way to get anywhere in the 1790s, this was a very long and bumpy ride. A post-chaise was a four-wheeled enclosed carriage pulled by four horses, and the driver was usually called a postillion, and he didn't actually sit on the carriage, but rode on one of the horses. That's why it's called a post-chaise, because the driver is riding postillion. Now, the post-chaise would stop at designated posts every few hours where the horses and the postillions were changed. Now, normally this would be at a pub or an inn, some places where the horses could be changed. Everybody could get out and stretch and get a bite to eat and prepare for the next leg of the journey. According to Wikipedia, post chases would average about 8 to 10 miles an hour or 13 to 16 kilometers an hour around the clock. These were really fast and there were a ton of accidents when the posts went too fast. In the biography Jane Austen at Home, Lucy Worsley writes about accidents that would happen on a pretty regular basis at Jane Austen's final home at Chaunton. Alright, so Brandon is desperate to get to London in a hurry. He and his servant will ride to Honiton, a market town in eastern Devonshire. From there, he's going to take the post to London. So I googled this route, and I'm assuming that the route through Honiton is somewhat similar today as it was when Brandon would have taken it. Now, according to Google Maps, London is 173 miles or 279 kilometers from Exeter by modern highways. Remember that the park is four miles north of Exeter. So driving would take about four hours. A train would take between two and three hours depending on which route you take. Now, this is doing some serious estimating and assuming and guessing based on modern roads, but taking a carriage 173 miles at 10 miles per hour would take Brandon 17 hours to get to London. And with the horses needing to be changed every three or four hours, that would probably be stretched to about 24 hours. So if Brandon leaves around 10 a.m., he's going to get to London the next day around midday, maybe later. So you can see how much of a rush that he is in. I've actually pasted some of the Google Maps that I used into the episode notes. Anyways, it's a really long ride on horseback and by post. It's a long ride now, especially if you have kids, so Burton has to leave immediately if he wants to catch the next post-chase to London. Okay, are we ready to continue? The complaints and limitations which politeness had hitherto restrained now burst forth universally, and they all agreed again and again how provoking it was to be so disappointed. "'I can guess what his business is, however,' said Mrs. Jennings, exultingly. "'Can you, ma'am?' said almost everybody. "'Yes, it is about Miss Williams, I am sure.' "'And who is Miss Williams?' asked Marianne. "'What? You do not know who Miss Williams is? "'I am sure you must have heard her before. "'She is a relation of the colonel's, my dear, a very near relation. "'We will not say how near for fear of shocking the young ladies.' "'Then,' lowering her voice a little, she said to Eleanor, she is his natural daughter. Indeed? Oh, yes, and as like him as she can stare, I dare say the Colonel will leave her all his fortune. Mrs. Jay doesn't want to shock young ladies, but immediately shares the news with a young lady. It's so ridiculous. Austin's comic timing here is so good. Of course, Eleanor is so mature for her age, that Mrs. J might forget that Eleanor is only 18. But let's focus on what Mrs. Jennings actually said. Brandon is going to deal with Miss Williams, his natural daughter. Now, natural children refers to children born out of wedlock. Brandon was never married to this girl's mother, but he pays for her care and probably her education. We can... Infer from Mrs. Jennings' words that Miss Williams is living in London and Colonel Brandon is going to deal with an emergency involving her. But that's all Mrs. Jennings knows or will share, anyways. And knowing how much she loves gossiping, she would probably share more information if she had it. But Mrs. J also apparently has met this girl either here at the park or in London because she says the girl looks Just like Brandon. So, they're all sitting around the breakfast table complaining about not going, but they've got to do something, right? Sir John comes back in after seeing Brandon off, and he is insistent that they still have fun. After some consultation, it was agreed that although happiness could only be enjoyed at Whitwell, they might procure a tolerable composure of mind by driving about the country. The carriages were then ordered. Willoughby's was first, and Marianne never looked happier than when she got into it. He drove through the park very fast, and they were soon out of sight, and nothing more of them was seen till their return, which did not happen till after the return of all the rest. They both seemed delighted with their drive, but said only in general terms that they had kept in the lanes, while the others went on to the Downs. So everyone decides to take carriage rides through the country, and while everyone else is out driving on to the Downs, Willoughby takes Marianne onto his carriage into the lanes, which is below the Downs. This was a curricle, a light, two-wheeled carriage drawn by two matching horses, and this was the sports car of the Regency period and the Georgian period. It was flashy, it was fast, it was dangerous. They had all kinds of accidents. They were also pretty, relatively inexpensive, going for about 100 pounds. So it's not a Ferrari, but it's definitely a Camaro. Isn't it funny how everyone was so excited about going on an adventure? But all we get about it is a single paragraph of description about what happened before and after. And for the full group, we get a clause tacked onto the end of the last paragraph but the party is just getting started. Everyone stays for dinner and more people come over and Sir John is very content to have nearly 20 people at his table for dinner and then they'll have a dance and we'll pick up again when everyone is just sitting down to dinner. Willoughby took his usual place between the two elder Miss Dashwoods. Mrs. Jennings sat on Eleanor's right hand and they had not been long seated before she leant behind her and Willoughby, and said to Marianne, loud enough for them both to hear, "'I have found you out in spite of all your tricks. I know where you spent the morning.' Marianne colored, and replied very hastily, "'Pray, where?' "'Did you not know,' said Willoughby, "'that we have been out in my curricle?" "'Yes, yes, Mr. Impudence," I know that very well, "'and I was determined to find out where you have been to.' "'I hope you like your house, Miss Marianne. "'It is a very large one, I know. "'And when I come to see you, "'I hope you will have new-furnished it, "'for it wanted it very much when I was there six years ago.'" Marianne turns away in great confusion. Mrs. Jennings laughed heartily, and Eleanor found out that, in her resolution to know where they had been, she had actually made her own woman inquire of Mr. Willoughby's groom, and that she had by that method been informed that they had gone to Allenham, and spent a considerable time there in walking about the garden and going all over the house. Eleanor could hardly believe this to be true, as it seemed very unlikely that Willoughby should propose, and Marianne consent, to enter the house while Mrs. Smith was in it, with whom Marriott had not the smallest acquaintance. "'Detective Jennings is on the case!' She had her maid ask Willoughby's groom about where they were. Not very proper, but servants definitely gossiped, and I'm sure this isn't the first time Mrs. Jennings has asked her maid to ask somebody else's servant for information. And where were they? They went to Mrs. Smith's house, Allenham, while she was still there, and Willoughby showed Marianne all over the grounds and the rooms. Mrs. Jennings is very loud and very rude when she says that she approves of the pair of them sneaking into Allenhead and looks forward to be invited there once Marianne and Willoughby are married. And how does Marianne respond? Well, she has at least the presence to blush while Willoughby tries to misdirect and answer the question himself by saying, oh, we went off in our curicle, didn't you know that? But we know, Mrs. Jane, you can't get her off the trail once she has the scent. And the narrator says Marianne is confused. But why? I think we might get an answer to the question in the next reading. So remember, Eleanor couldn't believe Marianne would do something so exactly like Marianne. And she confronts her sister. As soon as they left the dining room, Eleanor inquired of her about it and great was her surprise when she found that every circumstance related by Mrs. Jennings was perfectly true. Marianne was quite angry with her for doubting it. "'Why should you imagine, Eleanor, that we did not go there, or that we did not see the house? Is it not what you have often wished to do yourself?' "'Yes, Marianne, but I would not go while Mrs. Smith was there, and with no other companion than Mr. Willoughby.' Mr. Willoughby, however, is the only person who can have the right to show that house, and as he went in an open carriage it was impossible to have any other companion. I never spent a pleasanter morning in my life." "'I am afraid,' replied Eleanor, "'that the pleasantness of an employment does not always evince its propriety.' "'On the contrary, nothing can be stronger proof of it, Eleanor. For if there had been any real impropriety in what I did, I should have been sensible to it at the time, for we always know when we are acting wrong, and with such a conviction I could have had no pleasure. But, my dear Marianne, as it has already exposed you to some very impertinent remarks, do you not now begin to doubt the discretion of your own conduct? If the impertinent marks of Mrs. Jennings are to be the proof of impropriety in conduct, we are all offending every moment of our lives. I value not her censure any more than I should do her commendation. I am not sensible of having done anything wrong in walking over Mrs. Smith's grounds or in seeing her house. They will one day be Mr. Willoughby's, and— If they were one day to be your own, Marianne, you would not be justified in what you have done.' She blushed at this hint, but it was even visibly gratifying to her, and after a ten-minute interval of earnest thought, she came to her sister again, and said with great good humor, Perhaps, Eleanor, it was ill-judged of me to go to Allenham, but Mr. Willoughby particularly wanted to show me the place, and it is a charming house, I assure you. There is one remarkably pretty sitting room upstairs, of a nice comfortable size for constant use, and with modern furniture it would be delightful. It is a corner room, and has windows on two sides. On one side you look across the bowling green behind the house, to a beautiful hanging wood, and on the other you have a view of the church and village, and beyond them of those fine bold hills that we have so often admired. I did not see it to advantage For nothing could be more forlorn than the furniture, but if it were newly fitted up, a couple of hundred pounds, Willoughby says, would make it one of the pleasantest summer rooms in England. Could Eleanor have listened to her without interruption from the others, she would have described every room in the house with equal delight. Eleanor is shocked that Marianne would willingly enter Mrs. Smith's house, Well, she's at home when they haven't been introduced. Like I said before, touring a country house was a thing middle-class English folk did, but not while the owners were home. That's rude. It's also very inappropriate for her to go solely with Willoughby. At this time, it would have been oddly inappropriate for a single woman to go anywhere alone with a man who wasn't her relative. and Going off in a carriage alone with him was kind of frowned upon, if you read Northanger Abbey, you remember how comfortable Catherine was when John Thorpe takes her, on, her carri- on his carriage alone. Of course, Catherine had a totally different reaction than Marianne because Catherine believes it's not respectable, and she dislikes Thorpe, and she's angry that he lied to her about her friends the Tilneys, to get her into the carriage. And then there's Emma and Mr. Elton when he proposes to her well, they're scrammed in this tiny carriage alone. But Marianne doesn't believe she did anything wrong. Eleanor says that just because something feels good doesn't mean it is good. But Marianne argues that, that, is, that the exact opposite is true. And I'm going to quote Shepard again from the Annotated Sense and Sensibility because he puts it really well. Marianne proclaims a succinct version of the moral sense, The idea that human beings possess a natural or instinctive sense of goodness that can serve as the foundation of morality. This idea played an important role in 18th century philosophy, espoused in varying forms by many leading thinkers, and was adopted by romantic writers and proponents of sensibility. Marian believes if it feels good, then it must be good, which is a pretty messed up way to think about things, when many things that feel good are not good. Austen, I think, is going to criticize this idea using Marianne later in the book, but we're nowhere near that point yet. But why does Marianne feel this way? She turns away from Mrs. J in great confusion. She blushes when Eleanor chastises her. Is she surprised that others have a problem with her actions? When she would know that this would be considered inappropriate, and she does it anyways... Because she does not agree with the public ideas of what is appropriate and inappropriate for a young woman to do. So she spends like 10 minutes thinking about what she's done. And she comes back and says, it was Willoughby's fault. He wanted to show me around and she definitely wanted to see it. And so, sorry, not sorry. And then she goes on, of course, and starts describing the rooms But there is one question remaining for us modern readers. They are so happy when they come back. Did Marianne and Willoughby have sex? That's really why going off with an unrelated man is frowned upon and why Eleanor says people will talk and Miss Jennings is already talking. It will all settle on Marianne's reputation and a girl whom people talk about have problems on the marriage market, and all of these rules that Marianne chafes against are all about trying to ensure the appearance of a girl's purity and virginity so that she can be considered eligible in marriage. So did they do it? I think this is an unknown that we'll come back to throughout the story. Well, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Talking with the team from Rational Creatures and doing the research here was a lot of fun. That might sound weird, but that's how I roll. Next episode, we'll learn more about Colonel Brandon's family and Willoughby's intentions toward Marianne. Thank you for listening to Ents and Sensibility. This episode was written and produced by me, Casey Meserve. You can listen to all the episodes of Ensign and Sensibility on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please share, like and subscribe, and leave a review. Those reviews really help other people find the podcast. Thank you, and I hope you'll visit again soon.